When we look at kidney transplants in particular, they've grown at a rate of roughly 6.7% each year since 2013. And that's remarkable. And yet we still have 108,000 approximately patients waiting and we have patients who die waiting. So we know that as good as our system is, there's more that can and needs to be done. That's Alex Glazier, CEO of New England Donor Services, here along with Kevin O'Connor, CEO of Life Center Northwest, to talk about the current state of organ donation and recovery in the United States. She'll also discuss opportunities for all healthcare stakeholders within the industry. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast was brought to you by the global management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming healthcare, visit our online publication at health.oliverwyman.com. I'm digital editor Haley Retta. On behalf of everyone who made this episode possible, we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Dan Schellenberger, and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I am joined by Alex Glazier, the CEO of New England Donor Services, and Kevin O'Connor, who is the CEO of Life Center Northwest. I got to know Alex and Kevin over the course of the last year as we discussed and debated ways to drive improvements in organ recovery and in transplantation, and that's the topic of our conversation today which I've come to become much more aware of the opportunities here and the vital nature of this very, very, very important service. Kevin, Alex, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. So as we jump in, I was amazed. I thought organ donor donation and recovery was, um, you know, a fairly routine thing. You sign your card, off you go. Doesn't the system just take care of it from here? But then as we got into discussion, I learned, holy smokes, uh, no, that's not at all how it works. And in fact, there's been a, a pretty substantial amount of growth over the last several decades. Talk to us a little bit about where we've been and, and what we've accomplished already when it comes to organ recovery and, and transplantation. Sure. I mean, you mentioned the fact that you assume, you know, you sign your donor card and and then it just happens. And of course, the system is, in fact, far more complex than that. And I think one thing that people are surprised to hear is that the medical opportunity for organ donation is actually pretty rare, that only about 2% of deaths that occur in a hospital have any medical potential for organ donation to happen. And that means that each one of those opportunities is incredibly precious, that we know the system needs to do as best as it can to realize those opportunities in order to serve the patients that are waiting. So the system does in fact work quite well, and yet we still aren't meeting the needs, so it needs to continue to do better. In the U.S., we have, just to put it in perspective with some numbers, we do have about 155 million registered donors, which is about 50% of the adult population. And we also have a legal framework that allows for families or surrogates to make the decision in the event that it is one of those rare opportunities where organ donation might occur. The family can also make the decision in the event that the patient, him or herself, hasn't registered. And so that gives us two opportunities then to get to the yes. But once we have permission for donation and we have some general medical suitability, there's a lot that needs to go on 
to make sure that we are then following through on the management medically of donors to maximize the transplant potential, and then also to surgically recover the organs and make sure that they're utilized by the programs that have patients waiting. And so each of those steps and components have a lot of interdependency. And, you know, the one thing I would say is that the growth has been really significant, as you point out, over the past number of years, we've had over a 50% growth in deceased organ donation in the U.S. And we look at kidney transplants in particular, they've grown at a rate of roughly 6.7% each year since 2013. And that's remarkable. And yet we still have 108,000 approximately patients waiting, and we have patients who die waiting. So we know that as good as our system is, there's more that can and needs to be done to continue to optimize that. So um, looking at ways to unpack the system and the levers of change that will result in those improvements to deliver transplantation to the patients in need is really a critical piece of, of our work. Kevin, what's driven this recent growth in your estimate? What are some of the uh, handful of things that have changed in the system that have really allowed us to unlock this? I think the operative word there is system. And I think that um, all of the components of the system that Alex described have been making improvements, some more rapidly than others. But as she describes, the, the donation to transplantation continuum is an incredibly complex process. It begins with the identification of a potential organ donor in a donor hospital. So the donor hospitals themselves have to continue to strive to improve their ability to identify and make the referral in a timely fashion to the organ procurement organization. And we have seen substantial improvement in that regard. At that point, the OPO uh, comes into play, and OPOs have been vigilant in working on new ways and innovative ways to ensure that they can respond to in a timely way and capitalize on or, or optimize every potential donation opportunity, which, again, are rare events, and, and we need to treat each one as a precious opportunity to save lives. That being said, we've also introduced new innovative approaches to things like the surgical recovery of the organs and the way we preserve organs, which we can talk about a bit more later. And those things have opened up new opportunities to use organs that historically might have been deemed unsuitable based on our inability to evaluate them once they'd actually been removed from the donor in the period between the removal and the implantation. So that's an example of where innovation and technology and advances in clinical science are helping us increase the number of organs transplanted. And lastly, the transplant programs themselves. And many of the transplant programs in the U.S. have been hard at work to increase their capacity and improve their ability to transplant the ever-increasing number of organs that become available. That being said, a major challenge for all of us in this community of practice is the fact that there is a substantial underutilization of the available organ supply, and most pressing uh, with respect to kidneys, where for the past five years, over 20% of kidneys that have been recovered surgically and prepared and preserved for transplant ultimately are not used in any patient. And last year in 2020, for the first time, we eclipsed the number of 5,000 kidneys uh, recovered and not transplanted. So there's a huge opportunity to increase the utilization of the organs already available, in addition to the other opportunities to improve the functions within the donor hospital, the OPOs, and the transplant program. 
Alex, Kevin mentioned OPO. Before we go any further, we probably ought to define that for our listeners. Right. OPO is Organ Procurement Organization. And we are the nonprofit organizations that are designated by the federal government to serve a specific geographic area and are responsible then for coordinating deceased organ donation for transplantation for that service area. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, there's, there's um, as you say, Kevin, it's a really, and I was shocked, right, at how intricate and how many steps and how many stakeholders participate in the process from potential donor identification all the way through to transplantation. It's a labyrinth. And as you say, there's a lot of folks working really hard to make that happen. No one wants to see an opportunity not be completed. So as we look forward and we think about what's possible, you alluded to some of this, but there is a lot of potential out there. What are the areas where we should really be focused and be thinking about this as we think about improving and further increasing organ recovery and transplantation? Yeah, I think that in looking at the analysis done in the report and also a number of previously published reports, the area for opportunity and growth at this point for the U.S. really is in older donors and ensuring that we're recovering organs that are donated from older donors and that they're being effectively utilized. And that gets at that interdependence piece that we've already started to talk about and why the system needs to work together within its components in order to realize the results that we want. So it's not a matter of simply having OPOs recover more organs from older donors. We want those organs to actually be utilized and transplanted if our goal is to benefit the patients, which of course it is. And so we need to look at, again, how these levers intersect with each other and what are the barriers now that could be removed or incentives that could be put in place to ensure that we have all of the components aligned and working in the same direction for, again, the result that we want, which is to benefit patients who are waiting. So are we making sure that uh, we have all the systems in place to have recoveries take place of older donors, that we're aggressively placing those organs with transplant programs for patients that will benefit from organs from older donors, and then holding all of the stakeholders accountable to that work to then drive the result that we want. The report, for example, found that, you know, even with some relatively modest improvements, we can realize some real gains, especially in kidney transplantation. For example, Kevin mentioned that 80% is our current performance in terms of kidneys that are donated, recovered, offered by OPOs to transplant programs, and then actually utilized, which means 20% are not. If we could move that needle from 80% utilization to 84% utilization, that's an additional 1,074 kidney transplants a year. That's really significant improvement in a system that works in relatively small numbers. So just again, that modest change in the increase in utilization. If you start pairing that with increased recovery of organs that are, for example, from donors over 66 years old, and again, you model a performance that's a 4% increase, you know, then you start adding those incremental 
transplants together. And ultimately, we identified four different areas in this report that could add up to 2,355 additional kidney transplants a year. And again, with relatively modest incremental changes, but the key is that they all have to happen in coordination. And that if you have one improvement in isolation, you really don't realize the ultimate result. It has to be done in alignment to be impactful. Which underscores the importance of aligning the metrics of success and the regulatory and financial incentives and disincentives. The entire system, all components of the system to be aligned in terms of what's considered a successful outcome and, uh, and also ensure that we eliminate, to the extent possible, disincentives that currently stand in the way of us maximizing these existing opportunities for transplant. Yeah. Kevin, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? I think we've evaluated, we understand that there's opportunity out there. Alex, you enumerated those very well. You know, as we think about then what's really required to change, again, we all have the motivation to do this. As you said, Alex, there's a lot of people waiting for organ donation, waiting on waiting lists. What is it? It's not necessarily a money thing. It feels like this is much more, as we said, how do we continue to collaborate and remove some of the disincentives? So to speak a little bit to that, Kevin, what are some of these areas where we need to make sure that the system really comes together? Sure. Well, historically, the metric of success, the primary metric of success of the transplant itself was uh, one-year patient and graft survival. And that's been used by regulators as well as payers and has become a substantial constraint on the willingness of many transplant programs to sort of push the limits, so to speak, and understandably so. And now the major societies, the American Society of Transplantation, the American Society of Transplant Surgeons and others have come together and are beginning to do work to look at proposing a new set of metrics that would actually reduce the importance of that single point in time measure of success or failure and look at the longer term, not only the longer term outcomes for the patient, but also what's happening to a patient once a patient is listed with the transplant program. What's their likelihood of them surviving to the point they receive a transplant, not just measuring the uh, outcomes of the transplant procedures themselves. So there's real progress being made in that regard. And we can anticipate that over the next two to three years, a new set of metrics will be agreed upon and implemented that will eliminate that constraint on focusing on one-year outcomes. I think, as Alex pointed out, the largest opportunity for increasing deceased donation is in the older donors, donors over the age of 60 or 65. And just to put this in context, if you look at some of the European countries in France and in the UK, for example, the mean age of the deceased organ donors in those countries is upwards of 50, 55, 60, where in the United States, it's around 35 to 40 still. So we have a huge opportunity to increase the number of patients who die in a manner that would allow them to be considered potential organ donors to utilize their organs if we're willing to move away from that strict one-year patient and graft survival and look at the longer-term outcomes as well as what's happening to patients who have been placed on the list. Because the majority of patients who are awaiting a kidney transplant who are added to the list each year are over age 60 themselves. So the largest growth in the demand for kidneys is in those patients who are in that demographic that there's an opportunity for increasing donation as well. Understanding the risk benefit of accepting an organ and being transplanted in the larger context of no transplant at all. And looking at the data and understanding that for patients who 
don't receive an offer, their outcomes are significantly worse. And so to put it in the most basic terms, kind of resetting that narrative and discussion to understand that what we're really talking about is not just this organ versus a different organ and the transplant outcome of those options, but rather the possibility that there's no organ at all, because that in fact is the reality for many patients who are waiting. And so I think configuring how we think and talk about that in terms of a patient-centric outcome helps reframe how we can better utilize the organs that are available, because even organs from these older donors have far superior outcomes to patients who don't receive any organ at all. Yeah. And Alex, on that point, something that really surprised me as we dug into this, and I would never have thought about this, but, you know, we talk about patient centricity, and of course, that's a hot topic in healthcare because we're trying to empower and, and engage people in their health. Transplantation, obviously, you would never think of being a consumer-centric part of the continuum. However, the lack of information that people can actually un, you know, have as they think about a program is also part of the situation. There is variability as you look at different parts of the country and for different reasons. But I was surprised that there's so little clarity around how different one program might be for another, to exactly to your point around organs that might be passed over that could otherwise have been suitable. So that, that question of any organ versus no organ is a really important uh, consideration. Right. I mean, one of the things we looked at in the study and did some analysis on is if kidney programs all performed at least at the statistical level that's expected, given performance of other programs across the country, then all other factors being equal, we found there could be over 3,400 more kidney transplants performed each year just by changing that one lever, which is to try and have all programs be more aggressive and, and utilize kidneys at the same rate that they would be expected to given practices that are occurring across the country in other programs. So I think that's a, a really important point and certainly part of the picture here in terms of how we can drive some very significant, meaningful improvements. What haven't we covered, right? This is a big, elaborate conversation. If there was something you could tell to the audience here, our audience is, is often, you know, health insurance companies, large provider systems, health tech, a lot of the, you know, the new innovators in the space. Yet this is a problem that affects all of us in ways that we could never predict. What should we be thinking about? What can we do to help continue to drive improvement in this arena? One thing I can think of is that financial incentives and financial disincentives are really important to how a system functions. And we know that with donors that are older or donors that are medically more complex, and we haven't spent too much time talking about that, but a medically complex donor might, for example, be an organ donor that has hepatitis. 10 years ago, if an individual died with hepatitis, that would not be an opportunity for organ donation for transplant. But now with therapies and even curative possibilities for hepatitis, that's no longer a rule out. However, that is a more complex organ 
to be transplanting and it will potentially result in more complexities on the transplant side for the recipient. It could result, for example, in longer hospitalization, but still ultimately provides a bigger benefit to that patient than receiving no transplant at all, going back to the conversation we had earlier. So where does that leave us in terms of financial incentives or disincentives? We wanna make sure that there is no disincentive to accepting that organ. And that can be in the form of, for example, are the payments adjusted given a more medically complex organ or an organ from an older donor? Is there any adjustment to the reimbursement rate for the transplant hospital so that they can accommodate the fact that that organ will require more medical care for the recipient, but it's still gonna benefit the recipients. We don't want transplant programs to turn down organs from older donors or organs from more medically complex donors on the basis that there's a financial disincentive. So I think there's a lot of work that can be done to make sure that payers are aligned with this, understanding that ultimately transplantation is a cost savings, especially for kidney transplantation over the alternative therapy, which is dialysis. So I think there is some good overall alignment there, but the components of the system really need to be dedicated and engaged in this conversation to make sure that the financial components of this are aligned for increased utilization of the organs. Yeah, and I would follow on regarding the utilization that I think we need to bring more visibility into the organ offer and acceptance and organ offer decline process. And we need to work together hand in glove with OPOs and transplant programs towards finding better ways to maximize the utilization of these organs to eliminate unnecessary challenges which work against our goal of maximizing utilization. And one of the things we're working on is developing a shared metric of utilization because whether or not an individual kidney, the 5,000 plus kidneys last year that were recovered and not transplanted, the kidney being discarded is an attribute of that kidney. But the reason that kidney was discarded is because of the multiplier effect of hundreds, if not thousands of individual offers of that organ being declined for various reasons. So we need to better understand why is that happening and what can we do to reduce the number of declines and move more rapidly to those programs and patients that will say yes and can benefit from that organ. As you look to the future, any other last thoughts of things that we should be thinking about to help again kind of perpetuate and, and prod the system as it's continued to grow, you know, but to keep it moving at its full potential? The patient voice is really important to this discussion and has not been really heard in a way that's realized, and it could be. So we know, for example, from some published studies that on average, patients who die waiting for a kidney have actually received upwards of 16 organ offers, or their program has received 16 organ offers on their behalf that were turned down. And again, these are patients that ultimately die waiting with no transplant at all. And I think, you know, that's a shocking data point and something that I think patients would care very much about and should have a voice in understanding, as Kevin said, sort of the offer acceptance system and how we can do better in serving the patient and what the patient wants in terms of an outcome, which is a transplant. So I think that having the patient voice at the table for all of these discussions really would help facilitate the result we want. I would add wider allocation drives yeah. improved preservation methodologies and drives new 
approaches to the recovery, which historically has been, if an offer is to a transplant program, that transplant program sends a team 500 miles away to do the recovery. We're moving away from that because that's becoming more and more the norm than the exception now. So localized recovery teams, that's where I was going. And there's societies are developing a organ donor recovery consortium, which will look at establishing localized recovery teams, which has been very successful in the UK, for example, where they actually have teams of clinicians on call solely for the purpose of recovering organs within a circumscribed region. Um, and that's a very different uh, uh, approach and mechanism that we have currently have in place, but we're moving in that direction. And I think, you know, to your point, Kevin, that just finding larger system efficiencies ultimately improves utilization. Yeah. And that's a key piece of how we can facilitate this improvement. I mean, what we found in this study was that essentially if we're able to make these modest changes, but on all of the identified levers in the system, and even just looking specifically at kidneys, that we should be able to realize in the U.S. over 28,000 deceased donor kidney transplants by 2026 if the growth continues at the rates it's at now, and then adding on some incremental changes as discussed. And this starts to make a really big impact for the patients that are waiting. And I think would accelerate uh, where we are now. And I, and I would just point out too, that we know that the US has one of the best deceased organ donation transplant systems in the world. And in 2020, in fact, surpassed even Spain on the deceased donor transplant number. So we have a lot to be proud of, and we also have a lot of work to do to continue on that growth and performance improvement to meet the needs of all of those that are waiting. Alex, Kevin, that's a great place to, to pause our conversation. Uh, it's wonderful uh, to hear of all the, all the potential. It's exciting to think about the ways that we'll go uh, really capture this growth and continue to make an impact for people. But thank you both for all that you do on a daily basis. And thank you for taking time to share with us today. Pleasure. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming healthcare, visit our online publication at health.oliverwyman.com.